0: Uh, so, today uh, we're looking at uh, something deeper than sin and the fact that Satan is not concerned uh, with getting you to sin. That's not his top priority. That would seem very odd, uh, especially in light of, um, you know, whatever movies or depictions or uh, the story, uh, I think it was Faust who, who wrote it, where you sell your soul to the devil to get something. And, you uh, and But it's not that Satan does, doesn't want you to sin. It's just that there's a deeper thing that he is after. Uh, and whatever sin that results in is kind of inconsequential. The, so what we're going to see today is that lies and deception are truly what the, at base what he's after. This What we see in our passage in 2 Thessalonians 2 is a lawlessness. It's really it kind of becomes a term for his kingdom and the way he operates. Uh, lawlessness, of course, means throwing off God's authority. And, and so he has infiltrated the world with lies. Now, as we've seen, he's, he's put down held down or restricted by God that whole kingdom is and so but yet he can portray lies and defeat, lies are defeated all the time with truth it happens all the time from uh, wherever place they take hold of a society or a group of people uh, truth can come not all the time but often it does and people are set free and the, die, the lie kind of dies out and then he uh, that lie gets repackaged, renamed, and republished for consumption. And I liken this to whack-a-mole. Do you know this? Uh, do you know this game? Yeah. And that's exactly what lies—a great depiction of lies. So, as you—if you've ever played this game, as you knock down one mole, he comes back up later, and you kind of knock down another, and he comes back up later. And that's exactly. Some A good depiction of what actually happens is that lies uh, are always with us, and they're not new. They, they've been around before. And they've been around for a long time. Uh, they get repackaged, though. They get new shiny package and uh, a new name. And then everybody, and when a new generation comes, they all think it's new and original with them. And uh, it is not. And so what God is... Doing for us, let me get whack them all off of there so we can pray without looking at that. That what God has given us truth, and as Christ said, the truth will set you free. So let's get into the truth uh, here today. Uh, we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 16, where we left off yesterday. And let's open up in prayer and give thanks to our Lord for His truth, for His word, and uh, our ability to, our real privilege to have his word <coughs> speak to us so that our hearts are set free and that we're wise and not deceived so that we can live life as he has uh, destined us to live it. So with that, let's pray. <coughs> our Father in heaven, thank you for the, your word and thank you for this opportunity to be together and hear it. Through your spirit, Father, we are set free by your word. Whatever else is going on in this world, as we saw yesterday, as you teach to us, uh, we are in a, a world of undulation, meaning things go up, go down, go up again. And same thing happens in our own lives. And yet you have uh, given us the power and wisdom to look beyond the natural and to see the supernatural, to see our destiny. And also see life that we can live now, which is in your Son. We thank you so much for him and his victory. And as we look again into your word today, we seek, Father, your wisdom so that we will not be deceived by anything. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So the ongoing assault against the believer. We're going to keep it to the believer, but it does apply to the unbelieving world. And that is... Not so much getting him to sin, and what I mean by that is not as a first uh, order of business. Uh, people are going to sin. We're sinners. Uh, unbelievers are sinners. Uh, we all are, and we're none of us are going to become sinless. That's one of the deceptions. That was a Wesleyan doctrine from a long, not too long ago, or a couple hundred years ago. Um, where you know, that that man that believers could reach a sinless perfection that is not bear out in the Scripture, but um, what he is after is deceiving us. The ongoing assault of first priority is to deceive you by with untruths, and there's a lot of them. You, say, you know, for us as believers, we may say, well, we have a lot of Scripture in our hearts, we have a lot of doctrine in our hearts, and so we can't really be deceived. But there's so many areas of deception that we can easily overlook. And there could be areas of deception that we have accepted um, in, in whatever way and, and we have given into them. And they're hurting our spiritual lives. And they're hindering us because we think, that th- we think that we're doing right when we're not. And that is a self-deception that gets us uh, not where we want to be. uh, And therefore, sin is definitely the problem with the human race. But there's so many forms of sin. It could be self-righteousness. It could be a very moral, church-going person who has a sin secretly going on in their soul that nobody knows. Uh, It could be the very obvious stuff like addictions and criminality and violence. Those are very obvious. But it could be things like bitterness that you harbor in your soul. A jealousy. A worry, even, uh, because you don't trust the Lord. And these all become sin, and you can do them. I mean, how many times a day can you worry? If you're a worrywart, uh, I mean, you can be committing multiple, multiple sins on and on and on in all your waking moments, and you never have any freedom. Yet, uh, outwardly, no one sees it. And therefore, God wants us to overcome all types of sin. Uh, we're not going to become sinless, but we can overcome. And what that means is, is that we have power over it, even though from time to time we may slip up. You, you and I should know when something has power over us. That should be pretty obvious. And, and to ignore it is at your own peril. And I, when I say peril, of course, I mean the, the uh, experience of living this spiritual life. And part of that, this is a part of this deception that whether I've, you know, not giving in by, I haven't given my all by faith into what the Word of God says or certain commandments say. I haven't taken them seriously. I've kind of brushed them off. And and in those areas of my life, I'm mastered by my sin nature. And then my spiritual life suffers accordingly. And the lie is, oh, you're fine. Everything's fine. You're doing great. Are you? I mean, the only one who's going to tell you you're doing fine is God, not your conscience. Don't listen to that. You can so easily lie to yourself. Your conscience isn't going to tell you, but God is. And God is going to tell you through his word and through prayer. You take this word to God in prayer and ask him, am I getting this right? But the only people who do that who are actually those who want to get it right. And there's too few of them. So sin is definitely a problem with the human race, but overcoming a type of sin requires something deeper than trying to stop doing it. God cures. He does. He says it in his word. Again, he cure ultimately, when you're in heaven, you'll be sinless. but now, in time, whatever it is that is, if there is something that is mastering you, God can cure it. And he w- in time, I mean, he will cure it. Last time we noted that even when wrong, all mankind cherishes their freedom and their autonomy and their right to choose. This is uh, depicted, as we've been saying, in someone who's headed down the wrong road and won't turn around and rejoices in the fact that they can choose to do wrong. Evil is often masked in programs of freedom. There's a big one going on now in this woke movement that has taken the West by storm and the whole premise behind it is that you'll be free. (laughs) God forbid you disagree with it, and if you do... They turn on you and persecute you for your dissent. Get that. It's really ironic because dissent is the freedom to choose. God gave us freedom in the Garden of Eden and we dissented. We said, let's eat. (laughs) We sinned and God didn't react to our dissent with his, and our dissent was from his authority. God did not react with destruction. He could have, but he didn't the enemy does what if you don't worship the beast in the tribulation what happens does he say well that's your free that's your that's your right that's your free will no he kills you you're murdered but god didn't do this god is quite the opposite our christ is not the anti there's a reason he's given the name antichrist he's quite the opposite Instead, God gave us not destruction, but he gave us his son and destroyed his son in our place. Amazingly. God gave us his son and maintained the freedom that we so cherish and so love because we have to choose. We have to choose and we get to choose. He gave us his son, maintained the freedom of choice that we love. However, the choice and capacity for knowledge that we have in God's image You know, the higher order of the creation is, the more good it can be or the more evil it can be. And equally so, our capacity for evil gives us, uh, sorry, our capacity for knowledge gives us a great capacity for evil. But our capacity for knowledge also gives us a great capacity for good. So what does the enemy want? Well, the enemy wants us to do evil, but not independent from him. I mean, like, you know, if you're all, if, he, if the whole human race is sinning and paying no mind to the program that Satan has devised, he doesn't like that. I mean, no despot really does. The enemy is empty. Satan is empty, he has nothing. And so, like, all who are empty, they want to consume. Why do do addicts keep going back to what they're addicted to? Because they're empty. And they keep taking it so that they can at least try and stave off or anesthetize the emptiness that's in them. And the hope is that they'll fill it. But you won't. The enemy is empty, wants to consume us, and so the enemy seeks to devour. The devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to what? Devour us. God is not empty. God is full to overflowing. And therefore, God does not want to consume us. God wants to bestow favor. He wants to give to us. That's what grace is. God also does not show himself to us visibly. How many times have you wished that he would? And it's at those times where you just long for him to show show himself that it would do you a great harm if he did. Because not only does God want to give to us, and then we say, well, if he wants to give to us so graciously, why doesn't he just come and show himself to me? Imagine you could see the face of God. I mean, literally. I mean, imagine you could see, even not the face of God, but let's say some manifestation of him, what we call a theophany. Let's say you could see it. We'd be looking so much at the form and so dazzled by it that we wouldn't care to really know what it was about, right? If you're so dazzled by something, do you sit there wondering what it's about? Generally not, right? Like Once I learned a little bit of science when I, you know, I was a chemistry major and in, in college that... Uh, You know, say you go out and look at the stars with a scientist or something, right? And you say, well, wow, look at that beautiful constellation. And then he starts telling you about fusion and, uh, you know, heat production from fusion reactions and all that. And you're like, come on, man, you're ruining it. Or say you're looking at a sunset and somebody's saying, well, the reason why it looks purple and red is because light's being diffused through a longer – into a longer wavelength by this atmospheric aberration and yada, yada, yada. And thanks a lot – for ruining it, but we don't see God. Invisible to us, we seek what He's about, not what He actually looks like. We can't determine that. You can therefore, you know, you don't have to wonder why God didn't have anybody paint. There's no Michelangelo around to paint Jesus' picture. We don't have a clue what he looked like. And that's important that we don't. Imagine how many many times that picture would have been reproduced by now. It would be everywhere. I mean, the false picture of him is almost everywhere. God doesn't show himself to us visibly, even in some form. Because rather than being dazzled by his presence, we look further into his essence. And that's what he wants us to see. He wants us now in this life to not be um, deceived by over dazzling things. And that's what they become, right? Jesus is going to tell us in this passage that you could gain the whole world. You lose your soul. Uh, What did you profit but why do people want to gain the whole world? Why is it that people want, who have billions and billions of dollars want more? Have so much power but want more? It's because it's dazzling. It's wonderful. It, I guess it's wonderful. But you see, God doesn't show himself. Invisible, but present in essence, in thought, in spirit, in understanding. We see him for who he really is. And then when we do that, go whack a mole. All right. We get to choose. I don't want this slide, not yet. I don't want whack a mole either. All right, get out of here. Uh, (laughs) We get to choose who will reign over our lives, over our spirit, our heart, our soul. That's our life. And our bodies. Don't fall for that. It's a Gnostic lie that you you get to control this. The body's yours. My body, my choice? No. Not, I know that means uh, abortion in our world, but it also means a Christian who says, I've given God my heart, but my body's mine. It is not. It belongs to him. <clears throat> and that's just a fact. Your body belongs to him. Romans 12 says, present your body as a living and holy sacrifice. Look at uh, Matthew 16:24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, that's a truth. You lose your life for his sake and you will find it. That makes no sense to the natural-minded man. You don't lose something to find it. But in Christianity, in Christ, you do. And to lose it is to give to him your will. All of it. To give to him your obedience, your trust, your mind, your soul, your spirit, your body. You give it to him. Therefore, you lose control of it. But it's not like you lose control, right? You don't lose your mind or lose your consciousness. He doesn't become... uh, You don't become an automaton. You don't become a robot. You become uh, one who willfully does what he wills. And the promise is that you'll find it. And then he says in verse 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Now for an unbeliever that is to un- not believe the gospel but for a believer it's to forfeit this blessed life that God has for us. And there are truths about that life that we mu- that life that we must be clear on that comes from our repeated study of the scripture. So take this for example, Romans 8:28 says All things work together for good for those who love God. Now, go and quote that verse to someone whose child just died. And say, this worked out for good. You will crush them. Right? Is that good that your child died? It's like the worst thing I can imagine happening to anybody. Because that passage is in itself in the context of a much broader passage that we have to understand in Romans 8. There is suffering for the believer. We suffer for his namesake, which is here, but um, there's an inheritance for those who suffer in the manner that Christ suffered, which is an undeserved, terrible suffering. There is, there is also a life in Romans 8 that is one that is uh, propelled or empowered by the Holy Spirit by which we uh, walk in a manner worthy uh, and, and, and these things, all of these things are in Romans 8. Not just that everything's going to work out to your favor. That's not true. And you see, I can take one text, take it out of the Bible, and say, look, this is true. And actually, the way that you're applying it is not true. You are deceived with actual Bible text. And Satan, that's why there's so many ways to be deceived. We must be very careful And we also must be very diligent. And and so this demands, you know, what God has called us to do. We're in a world full of distraction. We're in a world full of, um, you know, social media and all kinds of stuff that are drawing our time. Remember I said Satan consumes? How many hours you spend or anybody can spend on social media or in watching this or in watching that? Compare that to how much time you pray and learn God's Word. I mean, I'm just the messenger here. Don't get mad at me. But I know this because we live in this world where our time and our energy and our thoughts are drawn into things and we get nothing in return. That is the enemy. Put that time into... And, you know, you don't have to study God's word all day. And we're not saying that you can't watch TV, you know. No. But if you find that you don't have time to pray, what are you spending your time on? If you find that you don't have time to truly understand what is in God's word, what are you spending your time on? Because you have one, I forget how many minutes it is, 184,000, something like that, minutes in a week. You have just as many minutes in a day as I do, or anybody does. What are we spending our time on? And in this modern Western world, there's a great deception about that. And Satan has got us very busy and distracted. So, you gain the whole word, world, what do you forfeit? Peter had expressed his absolute stance right before this. If you you can look at 1622, Peter says, I forbid it, Lord. What does he forbid? Jesus said he's going to go to Jerusalem, be mistreated and die, crucified. Peter expressed his absolute stance against Jesus dying in Jerusalem. Why is that? Because Jesus was the Christ. If you look at 1618, that's exactly what Peter said. Who do they say that I am? Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're uh, others. And then uh, Peter said, Who do you say that I am? Peter said, You're the Christ, the Son of God. Beautiful, courageous statement. And then Jesus said he's going to die in Jerusalem. Peter took an absolute stance and said, I forbid it. Why? Because you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're not supposed to die in Jerusalem. You're supposed to rule in Jerusalem. Why was Peter deceived? The truth of the matter is, is that we must want Christ. Not what we think Christ has come to give us. We must want Him no matter what He gives us. You see that. He said it here. If anyone wishes to come after righteousness. He didn't say that. Justice, blessing, Heaven, he doesn't say that. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I think it's in Luke's account where he says, and deny himself daily. And that's losing your life. You deny yourself not just yesterday, and today I've got it for myself. You deny yourself daily. The truth of the matter is that we must want Christ. What we choose must lead us to a reality of relationship with him. Right? We're given this choice, and we're in this deceptive world. and we our choices are real important. What we do at our time, uh, what we choose to put into our souls, what we choose to say every single day, living one day at a time, don't get you so we don't have to get so stressed out about. Years at a time, but just today, what are my decisions? And I must understand that I live in a world where the restrained lawlessness cannot manifest itself on the earth the way that it wants to, Second Thessalonians 2, but it is allowed to manifest itself in terms of propaganda Lies, deception. And this is the main way at which Satan tries to rule, though he can't really truly rule the world. I mean, we know he's the prince of the power of the air, but the tribulation is not going to happen until God allows it to. And he can't put his man on earth. Not yet. So he spreads the lie. What we choose must lead us to a reality of a relationship with Christ personally. Now, think about it. You could do all kinds of things that look good, that look like good works, and you could do them for all kinds of reasons. There are some very moral churchgoers, very moral, go to church every Sunday, and they're far from Christ. There are some very moral church teachers, pastors, deacons, and so on. Who are far from Christ. The lie is that what you do makes you spiritual. Does it? The other lie then. See I remember hearing that. When I first heard that I was like perfect. And I should do nothing. (laughs) That's another lie. You You just rejected one lie. Bravo. And accepted another. Satan loves it. The lie is that what you do makes you spiritual. That's not true. What makes you spiritual is your relationship with Christ. Another lie is that you don't have to do anything. All the doctrines we learn must be, and everything we do, all the doctrines we learn and everything that we do must be for the purpose of our own personal relationship with Christ. I do for him. I learn to learn about him. Every time you read the scripture or learn the Bible, you must not learn it uh, because somebody wants you to or you're expected to, but because you're looking to glean from it. You're looking for the Lord to speak to you about himself. In other words, it's very personal. Don't learn it for others. Don't learn it because you're supposed to. Don't learn also what pastors and commenters and scholars say about it. Even me, I say even me, but if I'm the man that you, you generally listen to, it's not my opinion of it that matters. Learn it for your own discovery of Christ. You can pull out any passage, any passage in the scripture and be ready for God to speak to you directly. And that is how you should learn. Peter, when he says, I forbid you to go, is stuck in his own pre-understanding he thinks the Messiah shouldn't die. Now, Satan uses deception by lies or of lies as his main tool to destroy. His main tool. He, he can do other things if God allows him to, like in the case of Job. But Satan generally, as we see in the scripture, uses lies as his main tool to destroy. Very prevalent deception is that we just saw Christ say, is that gaining the things of the world is will fulfill your life. So Jesus just said, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it profit a man if you gain the whole world and forfeit your own soul? This is a very prevalent deception, that gaining the things of the world will fulfill life. This is actually a deception in the church as well. Yeah, I'm just uh, currently reading about. There's six popes that happened during. They they came about during the Renaissance in Italy. I think one of them was Spanish. The other five were all Italian. And it was when you know Italy had gotten just so decadent and humanistic and secular and rich. And these popes, oh, they did the same thing. Ain't not a holy one among them. <laughs> And uh, they were awful. They are just awful. And what had happened is, you know, I I understand the Catholic Church had already been far corrupted by that time. We're talking around 1400. But it's, you know, they had seen this flow of money and power. And they said, yeah, let's get me some of that. And it just flowed right in. Uh, As the book of Proverbs says, be careful who you keep company with. Your company, if your company is corrupt, you just have to, in some cases now you can't help that. The people you live with are corrupt and you can't move out, <laughs> or the person you're married to is corrupt. Well, you have to still watch your soul because uh, corrupt morals corrupt us. Um, <clears throat> so, very prevalent deception, and Paul writes in 1st. Timothy 6.17, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Now, this is just one. How many – so it made me think today in the book of Proverbs, as I'm reading through right now, in Proverbs 1 through 9, you have pretty much there an introduction. And and it says – You can summarize, get wisdom, don't be stupid, right? That's a a real bad summary of Proverbs, but it's basically, fear the Lord, get knowledge, get wisdom. If you don't, you're going to suffer greatly. Yet, in those nine chapters, which are chock full, he doesn't really write down what wisdom is. That starts in chapter 10. So, for instance, the reason why I bring that up is because today I mention money doesn't mean that this is only about money. I'm giving you one example. I could never in one class teach about Satan's tactic of deception and also teach of all the various deceptions. Um, That would be impossible. There are so many of them. And we have to be alert. Satan doesn't care what sins you commit. He cares that the core of your heart is deceived. And if you're deceived, whatever sins happen from your deception, whether it's self-righteousness or immorality or uh, jealousy or uh, alcoholism or whatever, uh, he doesn't care. But if you're deceived, he's got you. So he's a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. That means he wants your life. Another deception or lie is that a believer can achieve a state of such spiritual maturity that he doesn't sin anymore. Um, This is also a lie. And it's a wonderful lie on Satan's part because it would cause us to lower our guard. If you know you're a sinner, you have to be on your guard. And uh, look at Romans 8.10. Romans eight ten. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So you see here, uh, as um, you can imagine, as Paul starts this sentence, "If Christ is in you," now he's already written a great deal here uh, in verses one through nine about the spiritual life, and that we walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh, and we're led by the Spirit. And those who walk by the Spirit do spiritual things, and those who are led by the flesh do fleshly things. And then he says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, well, don't bother using your body. Right? That would seem logical. If your body is dead, don't use it. Right? In the world that would make sense. But not in the scripture. He says, though the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And that's imputed righteousness from Christ, by which we can now with the spirit of God, which he's going to mention here now next. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he, he, you could use any example of what the spirit has done. He uses the resurrection of the Lord to reveal power. And also, what is resurrection? The dead comes alive. You see, your body's dead, but you have the Spirit of God in you who raised Jesus from the dead. So if he has the power to raise Jesus from the dead, what power does he have to give to your body? He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your... And I love it. He just doesn't say bodies because then we might get a little cute with our interpretation, but we can't get cute here, mortal body, that means flesh and bone, through his spirit who indwells you. The spirit's mentioned three times here, so, well, marvelous, this is God's solution to the path uh, or the the uh, scheme of deception that has come from the devil upon the whole world. Part of that deception is that my body is mine. I can do what I want. But that's not true. You can't do anything you want unless you want to do God's will. And then you have the green light. And if you choose to do God's will, the Spirit who resurrected Christ will give life to this body to do God's will. So when I say, oh, I can't do that, I can't quit that, I can't overcome that, and that's because, well, it's in my genetics. It's You You don't understand my past. You don't understand the decisions I've made. God says, I don't care about any of that. I'm in you, and I raised Christ from the dead. You don't think I can overcome your Area of weakness? You know, and that's what it gets down to. Choice. God gave it to us. And that's why we're going to be judged for what we've done, whether good or bad. By Christ, all the churches, everyone in the church is going to be judged for what we have done, Second Corinthians 5.10. In 5 9 it says, While we're here, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to the Lord. And for each of us, that is and I know and I know that's a heavy message, but whatever. You know, you're supposed to get both from the (laughs) pulpit. I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't communicating everything. So we avoid sin. I got my slides out of order, that's right. We avoid sin by knowing and loving the truth from Scripture, which demands application by God the Holy Spirit. And I add also there James 2.17. James 2 is where faith without works is dead. And if I have faith but I don't have works, then my life is really one of deadness. So doesn't James in no way is in disagreement with Paul about the doctrine of justification. It's justification by faith. James even says it there, but... It's um, He's talking there about faith being lived out in the spiritual life. And if it's not, my life is fleshly, carnal. And, uh, and that's not what God wants for us. And I'm very sure, I mean, I know this to be true, that there's no believer who wants that for themselves either. But they find themselves stuck and they think they can't overcome. And the problem is... The truth. The truth, not the lie, has to be at the base of our soul. So when he the writer of Hebrews says very famously, the word of God is alive and powerful, that what does it do there? Like for those for those of us who spent some time under Colonel Theme, we know that verse real well because he opened every class with it. But You know, it divides, goes down deep, divides asunder the soul and the spirit and critiques or judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so it gets down there or down there. And I think for a lot of us or some of us, that when it starts getting to the place where it's tender, and tender meaning that's where my own secret room is, where I want to do what I want to do. And in the back of my heart, I'm like, yeah, I know this isn't God's will, but I'm going to keep doing it anyway. That the word of God is getting in there and knocking on that door. And, and, you know, it's up to us. Completely up to us. God preserves our free will. But it will be painful. Painful. So when we look at our passage, 2 Thessalonians 2, let's turn there real quick. We can see what his deception is about. But Again, it's not going to be specifics here. It's not that we don't find specifics throughout the New Testament, but uh, here we don't. We find the general category. So look at 2.6, because this is what tells us that he doesn't have free reign on the earth. And you know what restrains him now. And he's, he's talking about the Antichrist, which is really the, the manifestation of Satan's kingdom of lawlessness on earth. You know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed. And that time is determined by God, not by him. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That means it's working. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, again, what that restraint, what is God using to restrain? Paul doesn't tell us. But so therefore, it's not important for us to know. What's important for us to know is that he is restrained. We can debate who the restrainer is and probably gain some insight. You know, anytime you're searching for something and studying scripture to find it, you're doing yourself uh, a good thing. But you also have to be understanding that you might not find your answer. So what is the lawless one trying to do while he's restrained? We find out in other passages, and in this one, that when he's no longer restrained, there's things that he's going to do. And, you know, with the with the desire of change from now until then of this lawless you know satan and his lawless one and all the lawlessness that he wants to be on the earth and the answer is no uh, he wouldn't change he uh, his lies revolve around what he wants and what he loves and when he gets his chance to truly rule this earth physically with this man of sin on the as the king of the world, he's going to do what he loves to do. And it's awful. It's awful. And we can find that by what God tells us he's going to do when he's free. First, there's apostasy. And apostasy is departing from God's authority. And so what does he want us to do? Depart from God's authority. I mean, basically... For the last 40 minutes or so, that's what we've been talking about. Being deceived in a way that says, well, I can do this when I shouldn't, or I can do that when when God's will says no. What is that? Well, I'm throwing off God's authority in some part of my life and claiming the authority over my soul in that area of my life. I get to do what I want. I have a right. And though God lets you do it, it doesn't mean you have the right to. So that's apostasy. Pride. I mean, that's an easy one. But it's something that is really at the base of all of this, uh, or one of the ones that's at the base of all this, is that he wants to be worshipped. He wants to exalt himself above all all things that are God and, and be called God. And so that's the ultimate pride. What is he trying to get us to do? To be proud. So you could be that Christian who actually does get it you you're you learn god's word you serve you sacrifice your life you pray you 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 study and he's waiting to plant some pride in you so aren't i a good christian well you are but then when you start thinking about maybe this is maybe there's something special about you Maybe there's something about you that's not true about others. Maybe, maybe you're just plain awesome. Maybe you're different. You're no different. <laughs> you're no different at all. That sinner who you decided to start judging because you finally got your life in order uh, could be you know, um, no longer ruled by sin in a moment. None of us are special. And so, Satan... And so, so I, what? I always have to be on the alert? Yes. Yes, that's what God is saying. <laughs> Every day. I say that's exhausting. Yeah. It's all right. It's not like you're going to live for a million years. you got to be alert for a finite number of days. Then you go to heaven, you don't have to worry about a thing. But now... Now you have to be alert, sober and alert. So that's pride. False religion is trying to sneak into our doctrines, false doctrines, Uh, an elevation of self. I'd say, you you know, that's also pride, but in this particular here, uh, there's an aspect of pride that is elevation of self. I want to really rule and uh, self-delusion because he's deluded. Uh, so look, go back to verse 3. That's where we see this. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come, meaning the day of the Lord, unless the apostasy comes first. Again, that's a departure from God's authority. Unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship and takes a seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Yeah, and so what do you have here? Apostasy, pride, false religion, elevation of self, and terrible self-delusion. I'm going to be God for real? What is he trying to do to us? Actually get us to believe a lie and think it's true and actually pat ourselves on the back for being so wise. Self-deception. Deception, deception, deception. When are all the lies going to go away? At the end of human history. Until then, it's whack-a-mole. They're going to go away and come back, and go away and come back. I saw this awesome, or read this awesome article about uh, all this racism that's going on around now, that we, that America basically eradicated about 50 years ago, or was in the process of, and it all came back. Except now, it's not the black man that's the one being. Um, uh, what's the word, (laughs) racistized, prejudiced against, that's the word, but it's the white guy, especially the white Christian male. It's the same thing. They repackaged it and gave it a different color. But it's the exact same process with the same desire. Now, so we get a break after verse 5. Uh, Paul says, i reminded, don't forget that I already taught you about this and that the Lord is going to come and destroy him. And then in verse 9, the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. All right, so what does he want you to do? There's a deception that you live your life with power, but your power is not from God. All right, so where is my power from? From yourself. From your anger. From your pride. From your self-love, there's all kinds of ways that we can get the energy to do stuff. From your want to be admired by others, it gives you a lot of energy, right? Somebody's watching or somebody will know that I've done good, so I get busy. But that's the wrong power. See, the spiritual life comes from, I want to do this because this is what my Lord wants. And that's it. So, whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness, deception. And this word, wickedness, adikia, means unrighteousness. And why, so, when would unrighteousness be deception? Is when people and we can do this. We think it's righteous. So here's what happens. And this is my this is my path to sin chart. And the reason I, I you know I have this to sin is because of you know the fact that sin is on the outside here. So progressing from the inside and you've got shaking hands, right? And on the inside in the blue is lies and deception. And this is where it starts. It doesn't start with sin. I've got sin on the outside. As James says, each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. And when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So sin is the child of pride and Lust, as James puts it. So first we have lies and deception. Let me get rid of that. And I believe, you know, whatever that is, and it's wrong. But, you know, I believe it. Okay. Then that, if it's wrong, and then, then you progress outward to the green circle, which is the appeal to pride. And with the lie in your heart, I can say, I am able to... What? Fill in the blank. I can do this. See, and pride says you can. And God says don't. <laughs> and pride says, no, 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 no. Lord, I got this, right? Why did you get proud? Because you believed a lie. If you knew who you were and who the Lord was, your pride would be very... It's not You wouldn't be have no pride ever. Come on. But it'd be few and far between just that truth knowing who you are and who he is but you see lies come in say well now yeah, whatever whatever the lie is there's a lot of them and now the pride moves to elevation of self and i'm taking all of these from second second Thessalonians 2 i exalts himself above all gods and then he says well i'm above what and depending if this is on the path to sin you say I'm above the consequences or I'm above all those people all the signs that told me no right because God is working in our lives he is not an absentee landlord he is constantly revealing to us divert change course repent turn around or keep going a lot of my message today is about about the negative stuff but you know, if you're in the positive stuff, he's going to encourage you to keep going. But even if you are in the positive path or on the right path, there's constantly going to be temptation, and you always have to be alert. And then finally, the last circle I have here is the lust from 1 John 2 the lust of the flies flies. That's the Lord of the flies, the lust of the eyes and the flesh. And that's when you say, it is my right to do. So I've gone from I believe, I can do it. I'm above the consequences and the truths that say don't do it. And then I start to say, I have a right. This is my right. And then when that happens, now sin comes. And if sin, as James says it, if sin is prolonged, because you maintain this pattern, where would you change? How would you get rid, now, again, not sinless, but something is conquering your life. How would you overcome it? Well, you have to go right to the beginning here and get the truth. You see, because when you look at the truth, you're looking in the mirror of the glory of God and it shines back to you. And when you look at that, you see truth. And truth says, I'm broken here. I'm not so broken here. And where I'm broken, I need to change. And then I start seeking that change. Now, seeking it alone, that's a lie. You'll be right back. When you start doing that, your sin will be there, it'll be just a different one. That's when people, they trade in one master for another who's just as awful. And perhaps even more awful. So all you're going to do is change the sin. What we want to do is get rid of it. And how we're going to do that is here. We're going to change this to truth. And there's only one place truth is the scripture. And then this whole thing will change. Pride becomes humility. Elevation of self? No. More and more elevation of the Lord. Lust not for the flesh, but a desire for him. And then sin becomes righteousness. But it all has to start at the base and that's why Satan, Satan, whatever sins you're you're after, he does not care. What he cares about is this: this is where the Word of God that's alive and powerful is going in to change. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let it do it. Same for me. If I'm reading Proverbs, and I have uh, for a course. I'm loving this course, but i you know I've got to read Proverbs in you know in a certain amount of time. And I'm like, okay, I start. first thing I start thinking, you know, because now I've got homework to do. All right, it's 31 chapters, and I have so many days, so I'm going to do so many chapters a week or a day. And then I'm st- I find myself reading like as fast as I can because I want to get my homework done. And then the Holy Spirit says, stupid, you're learning this so that you can know me. It's not just a course. You're learning this so you can be a better pastor. You're learning this so that you can be a better Christian. Slow down. Let me speak to you. And when God speaks to you through the book of Proverbs, right? That's that's wisdom. We all need more of that. So, let the word of God change that middle circle. And it'll never be finished. Yeah? You'll always be changing it. What Satan wants to do is deceive you. Don't let him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word and for your spirit, which gives us control over the way we think and the way we live. We thank you, Father, that through you and to you, we can live and see you, the reality of you. We know, Father, that we'll never be safe from deception and temptation. So... Teach us to be alert in prayer and in study and in life. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.